0: This week's reading is from Isaiah 11, verses 1 to 9. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with the righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt, and faithfulness, the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yarling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den and the young child will put its hands into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea.
1: Advent is the time when in the church's calendar we remember that the story of Jesus Christ that we read about in the Gospels is not yet finished. Jesus was born a human being in Bethlehem. When he was an adult, he spent three years preaching the gospel of God's kingdom and bringing God's healing into the lives of all sorts of people, especially the needy, especially the sick, the beggars and the marginalised. In the end, he was put to death on a Roman cross. But three days later, he rose out of death, and newly alive, he met with his disciples before ascending to the presence of God. All that happened in the past. But Jesus is not just a figure of the past. He is not like other great figures of the past, dead and gone, receding ever further into the past as the course of history rolls on. No, Jesus is alive in the presence of God and among his people here on earth. Jesus is our contemporary and Jesus is also our future. A couple of weeks ago, I said something about living within the Christian story. And that's the big story the Bible tells Stretching from creation at the beginning to new creation at the end. And to be a Christian is to see the world in terms of that story. To be a Christian is to live within that story. To be a Christian is to live in the direction of God's future. To be a Christian is to live in the direction of the kind of completion of world history that we know God intends. And that future, that Advent hope, is God's renewal of his whole creation. The Advent hope is that big. It is as big as the whole of creation. Now, when I spoke a couple of weeks ago about the bigness, the breadth of God's future, this Advent hope, that this Advent hope encompassed all things, I didn't speak about what I want to call its centre. Now that is how Jesus fits in. He stands at the very centre of the hope, our hope, for the new creation of all things. And that's why the story of Jesus is not finished. The future of the whole world, the whole of creation, is bound up with his future. Jesus is the person through whom God's purposes for the world, for the whole of creation, are coming to fruition. And the completion of his story will also be the completion of the world's history. The moment when God will roll up history like a scroll, bring it to fulfilment and take it into a new kind of of existence. Jesus is central to all that. He is the key to it all. Now why is Jesus central to the advent hope? Well I think we can see the answer to that question by thinking of one unique fact about Jesus' his history. Jesus alone of all people rose bodily from the dead He entered into a new kind of embodied life beyond the reach of death. That sort of life is new creation. Jesus has already entered the life of the new creation that God has has promised for all things. Now, the letter to the uh, Hebrews found in our New Testament calls Jesus our pioneer. He is the one who has already gone ahead of us into this new future to open the way for us all. He came into the world precisely to rescue uh, the world from evil and death. He did so by entering fully into the world's plight, suffering the worst that can happen to any human being, death itself. But then rising on behalf of all into the new future that he has opened up for us all. Jesus leads the way. He's the pioneer. Indeed, as he said, he actually is the way. And that is why when the early Christians looked to the future as they constantly did, it was the second coming of Jesus that was central to their thinking. Christians were people who looked for the second coming of Jesus. Everything they could hope for the world would come with Jesus, and so they prayed for his second coming. The earliest Christian prayer, apart from the Lord's Prayer, the earliest Christian prayer that we know the early Christians prayed when they met together for worship, was a very simple prayer, our Lord come. In the New Testament, we ha- actually have that prayer in Aramaic, the original language of the first Christians. O Lord, come, in Aramaic is Maranatha. Paul, writing in Greek to his Greek-speaking churches, still actually quoted that prayer, O Lord, come, Maranatha, in Aramaic, and he expected his Greek listeners to know it. So foundational was it that even Greek speaking Christians continued to say that prayer in Aramaic, Maranatha. And right at the end of our Bibles, almost the last words in the book of Revelation, there it is again, in Greek this time, Calm, Lord Jesus, Revelation 22, verse 20. It is the prayer that the New Testament leaves with us to go on praying until Jesus does come. And brief as that prayer is, Maranatha, O Lord, come. It is a huge prayer. In a sense, it is the prayer for everything. The prayer for God to bring all his purposes for the world to completion. And because Jesus is central himself to those purposes, praying for the coming of Jesus sums it all up. Now, one way which we might, it might be helpful to put what the New Testament writers tell us about this Advent hope might be this to say this the future belongs to Jesus. And if we want to realize what Christian hope means for our lives now, that phrase may sum it up well the future belongs to Jesus Christ. Living with Advent hope means living with the confidence that the future belongs to Jesus Christ. Now, I just want to, in the next part, just try and reflect on what that means for us today. If the future belongs to Jesus Christ, what follows from that? Well, first, if the future belongs to Jesus Christ, then the future does not, does not belong to what I want to call the myths of human progress that have been so influential in our modern history. All those ideologies around us, whether it be Marxism, communism or whatever they may be, which are used to persuade us that human history of its own accord is moving inextricably towards some utopia in which all is well. Let's look back at the last century. All those ideologies, those myths of human progress have all failed. The future belongs to Jesus. So it's good news that the future belongs not to the myths of human progress that have failed, but to Jesus Christ. And if the future belongs to Jesus Christ, it belongs to the people who live as Jesus lived. Not to the ambitious, self-seeking people who carve out a future for themselves, But the people who live lives of love and service, often largely going unnoticed, gaining no credit for themselves, notching up no obvious achievements, giving up perhaps a future they may have had for themselves in order to devote themselves to others, living as Jesus lived. These are the people to whom the future belongs because it belongs to Jesus Christ. And since we know the future of the world is Jesus' future, we can live our own lives towards that future, can't we? We need not be taken in by the the, the way the world seems to be going. We need not imagine that the way the world is, is the way that the world must always be. We need not accept that the future belongs to people who uh, have the power and and the might to do things. In the end, the future belongs to Jesus Christ. And so you and I, as followers of Jesus, we can live against the flow of our world. We can live out the values of Jesus Christ. And we can come alongside the suffering and the excluded, the neglected and the dying. We can oppose injustice and oppression. We can do all these things because whatever appearances might suggest... This is the direction in which the future lies. Now, if I stop there, I would have left something out of the Advent hope as the Bible and the church present it to us. Because in the great creeds of the Christian faith, it says this about Jesus. He will come to judge the living and the dead. If Jesus is coming to judge the living and the dead, to judge the world, what should we feel about that? Should we be hopeful or fearful? Well, it might help to put it this way. What will happen when all of us, all of the dead of all human history, stand before Jesus, the judge, at the end of history? What will happen is this, that the full truth of everything will finally be crystal clear. Each of us will confront the real truth of our lives. There will be no more room for illusion or deceit. We shall see ourselves as only God sees us, actually. And even in this life, the most honest of people fail to do that. We hide things, even from ourselves. Our true motivations we hide. Our secret failings are hidden. But Jesus said, there is nothing hidden that will not be revealed. Everything will be out in the open on the day Jesus comes. And we shall not be able to dispute it or deny it. There will be no room for then to hide. Or deceive and those who in their lives have practiced repentance sought God's forgiveness and received it will realize perhaps for the first time just how much God had to forgive they will see the sins they've never noticed but they will rejoice that those sins have been forgiven judgment will also reveal what has been good in every life And there will be surprises there too, I think. We may find ourselves thinking much better of some people than we previously had done. Well, I'm saying, in facing up to the full truth about our lives, as God sees them, there will be pain. It will be hard to bear. But that good we've done in our lives, we shall be able to praise God and thank God for it. So Jesus will come to judge the living and the dead. There will be a separation, the Bible says, between the sheep and the goats, between the wheat and the tares. In all this, we should remember that the judge, Jesus Christ, is the one who embodied the grace and forgiveness of God in his ministry. And he died precisely for sinners to be set free from sin and the consequences of their sin. So from this perspective, the future belongs to Jesus Christ, the judge of all the dead. The one who finally pronounces God's entirely truthful verdict on human life. The one who does that will be Jesus Christ, the same Jesus we know from the Gospels. And the, gospel of, the Jesus of the Gospels pulls no punches in exposing evil but he's also the one who is abundantly merciful. And that is the Jesus who at the very end of the Bible said this, the book of Revelation, I am coming soon. And he expects us to join in the response there found in Revelation. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus.